Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside. Just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm just watching the current season of Wrexham Till I Die, and it's kind of interesting, very interesting, in fact. And uh, I remember just a few episodes ago, there was the the issue uh, that caused real problems for Rob and Ryan was Paul Mullins' boots, uh, which had emblazoned upon them a, a derogatory comment about the Tories. And I thought, huh. And then I thought about the weekend just passed. They've signed James McLean who asked a Mansfield Town fan on to fight him, more or less, tell him come onto the field uh, during their cup game at the weekend. When I just think about how upset Rob and Ryan were about that whole incident, did they have any idea who they were signing? Um, obviously, McLean doesn't wear the poppy during the month of November. It's caused consternation amongst a certain section of uh English society during his career for a man very open about his political persuasions. I can't wait for next season now. <laughs> next season of Wrexham till I die. I um, I don't know if I told you I saw Ryan Reynolds on the street in Manhattan. You did oh about a week and a half ago. Yeah, how far yeah. away would you say he was? I mean, how far are you when you walk by a person? Wow, a foot half. In several inches. I don't know. <laughs> he he was, I was walking one way down the sidewalk and he and another guy were coming in my direction. Um, I stared at him uncomfortably. We did lock eyes momentarily. He's a gorgeous, gorgeous man. Uh-huh. Um, and you never thought, hey, sorry, uh, Ryan. Hi, I'm Andrew Gundling. Uh, um, I have a very popular soccer podcast. I would absolutely love to talk to you about Wrexham. I did. 
I did say all those things. No, you wouldn't. You would yeah, never. I did. I interviewed him already. It's from. Uh, I'm starting it on a on a a separate venture. I was trying to keep it hidden. Listen, there's too much to discuss on this podcast about football for me to get just tied up in my disappointment at your your just lack of social skills. <laughs> That's your takeaway, huh? You had to make it about yourself. Couldn't be, oh, wow, cool. What a neat New York celebrity sighting. No, no, no. How can I make this about sighting? me? What does that mean? It means nothing. God, you saw someone. Unless you interact. Yeah. Well, who no, cares? it was a sighting. Like you're in the wild. <laughs> like Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> um, although in new york there's celebrities everywhere so it's a what that's a big one though that that's a notable yeah. one that's a notable yeah, one it's not notable when you do nothing about it i saw him and now i get to have that moment uh what a show right. what a show this is going to be i i don't even know what to do with some of what we've seen over the last few days in the Premier no. League, it's we, I know what to do. Absolute with madness. What's going on? I know on. what to do with Arsenal and Newcastle. I can figure that out. I know exactly what to do with it. It wasn't even that good of a game, to be honest with you. You're um, right. Actually, I do have I do have concrete thoughts on that one. Full disclosure: We're recording this. It's late Monday night. Um, I only just finished watching Tottenham and Chelsea. You were literally waiting for me to finish watching it uh, mm-hmm. for us to start recording. So I'm. I'm still in it emotionally. Uh, what an absolutely ridiculous game of football. I don't know what to make of it really for either team. I'm so no. curious to see uh, specifically, look, for Chelsea, they won 4-1. Their striker who has been maligned for all of this season up to this point registered a hat trick. And yet I don't know. I don't know what they take from this. I don't yeah. know. I mean, other than the fact that it's three points against maybe their biggest rival um, in Pochettino's return to face his old club, like obviously those are all good things. But aside from those things, I don't know exactly what Chelsea. <laughs> Pochettino looked anguished through most of this game, through the second half when they're up two men after Destiny Odagi ridiculously, in a moment of of madness for him, got himself sent off with a with a absolute second yellow. Um, but Chelsea's again, they scored four goals. I, I, I know that like that is that's what matters. The score is what matters, but they I mean, my God, at, at one point, JJ, when the game went to stoppage time, you know, there's nine minutes of stoppage time in the second half. It was still two one at that point, but it felt like there were like three big chances in the second half since the since Tottenham went down to nine, and it felt like two of them were for Tottenham with with Dyer scoring and having it chalked off for a, a narrow offside, and then Bentoncourt almost inexplicably oh. missing a header from from two feet out. I mean, I get but, why but, he uh, did. the ball was moving at, at a real quick pace, and it was hard for him to get his head down on it in time, but he probably I mean, should have scored. I mean, the if you were to settle on what Ryan O'Hanlon uh, came up with on Twitter, Ryan of ESPN, he said, this is the worst I've ever seen a team play with nine men and the worst I've ever seen a team play against nine men. If you want, if you want to go with that, I th- I think that's, I think that's okay to go with. And also, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm getting destroyed by some Chelsea fan who's a long-term listener. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now I called him a, a wanker. I shouldn't have done that, oh, but like, oh. I'm getting destroyed about things I haven't said yet on the pocket. You're going to be negative about Chelsea, you know, um, I'm sorry. Like I've been nothing but positive about Chelsea. I I picked them to be challenging for the fifth position. 
If you listen and go back to our previews, I thought Poch would get them into fifth. They've been nothing but abject since that prediction. Also, even when we've had a Chelsea guest on, when we did the In the Club, the guy came on and, and explained a billion pounds of spending in 12 months under Todd Bowley. He explained it away as inflation. And I said nothing. So I have been so nice to Clearly, Chelsea. you've been sitting on that one for a while, though. Oh, Christ almighty. <laughs> like, I mean, the fact I didn't say anything was just out of a pure kindness to the guy. Because, you know, he was good enough to give us our, uh, give us his time. I, I didn't really feel like destroying him when, you know, he took time out of his day. But, like, the idea that I've been anything other than generous to this faltering is even kind Chelsea team. They won the game. Like, I would have loved to have seen this game develop and keep going 11 v 11. But Tottenham have what can only be described as, a, you know, I mean, R- Romero is a, well, he's always a, said, he's a maniac. Time bomb. He's, he's an absolute, maniac. he's an absolute maniac. Look, when he's. And Destiny Odogi is just so raw and inexperienced. Like in that second half, he's he's coming back. He's chasing back. He makes a great defensive play. I honestly, it was good defending. All he has to do is stay on his feet. He doesn't have to go in on Sterling. It was. It, it goes to ground. It's just stupid. Second yellow, off you go. And then the game is crazy because, you know, Pastacago has decided. I have two ways I'm going to die here. I'm going to die by my principles or I'm going to die in a way that Conte or Mourinho would have died. And he decides to die by his principles and and almost gets away with it because Chelsea are not good at finishing chances. But now there's they're even worse against a low block, but for him to choose to be a low block in that scenario and play on the counter was too much of a concession to circumstance, and he wanted to stay true to what he believes in. What did he say after the game? It's what we do, mate, or something like that. You know, like that. I mean, you can criticize either decision. I mean, it gave Spurs a launching pad to still have attacks. Can we listen? By the way, I'm not the only one that thought Chelsea were like almost going to fluff their lines here. I mean, there's a lot of people thinking this would be hilarious if Tottenham draw this and Chelsea don't win. Like, utterly hilarious. Um, I wasn't the only pe- person thinking this. If you're going to attack me, listen to Chelsea TV. Listen to what they had to say at 2-1. Son, past his Sanchez saves and spares the Chelsea blushes for now, but for how much longer? They were finding this just a tad embarrassing. And it was all the more embarrassing by, by the incredible line that's, that Spurs had decided to play, a defensive line. The so, zero seven one formation, as Football three six five described it as, against Mudrick and Sterling, like, and 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 look, Chelsea in the end they made it look good four one. If you didn't see the game, you're like, oh, it's comprehensive. No, it wasn't. No, it oh. wasn't. And that doesn't mean doesn't mean that Chelsea don't kick on from this and are be brilliant all season. But like, you know. Like, do, do people just listen to a podcast to hear nice things about their club? Like, is that what they do? Like, Christ, it's exasperating. It's so frustrating. Like, I come into this, I do my absolute frigging best. I do my best. If a team's playing crap or I think they play crap, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you Liverpool at the weekend. I don't care about their XG. They went to Luton and drew 1-1. They were, they were poor. They should have won the game. They didn't. But everyone just wants to be soothed and like defend ownership. And we had another yerk 
over the weekend complaining about our coverage of Barcelona, like saying that it was a fall from grace that they have to now chill out for like decrepit bands from the 60s. Yeah, okay, that's a comment. You don't have to jump to your... It's not an attack on everything the club's ever stood for. Anyway, back to this game. Um, it was it was such a crazy game. It was it was it was lunacy. I just would have loved to have seen it eleven v eleven. Well, of course, it, because it did become. I mean, it was it, it it's a choice by Postacoglu. What it was do. a freak it, show. It was an utter freak show. JJ, can we can we? I want to go through these things one thing at a time. Uh, all right, for, do it. The, the first thing that you mentioned, Romero. Um, I mean, look, I've I've sounded off on this before. He's a brilliant player. It's no accident that he was a starting center back for Argentina winning the World Cup. Uh, you know, it's no accident that he's an assistant captain for this Tottenham side. He, he's great, but he's out of his mind. He goes through these moments where he loses sight of reality. I, I talked about it last year when Tottenham got bounced by AC Milan in the second leg. They're down one goal and he gets two horrible yellows to get sent off in a game where Spurs only needed one. Like he ha- he just has these moments where he just he, he just sees white. Like it, it all goes blank for him. And and he, he could have been, he was lucky. Like that's the thing that drives me crazy. He kicks Levi Colwell in, in an act of total petulance, gets oh. away with it. You would think, oh, okay, there was my mulligan for this one. Let's better settle down. And then it's <laughs> a minute, two minutes later, he's still seeing white. He hasn't come back to reality yet. And he, I mean, look, some of those red cards are, are different. And, and like, that's one where sometimes I'll feel a little bit bad for a player when he's going through, like when it happens on a follow through of trying to clear a ball from out of your box, that's not the yeah. same necessarily as going into a tackle, but, but when it's him and you've only just done what you did a minute earlier, you lose the benefit of the doubt and it's absolutely a red and you know it, it's tough for Tottenham because they would have been better off just having the Caicedo goal count, yeah. but instead, <laughs> but now it's got to get looked at. And so with that, now the red gets seen, it's a red and a penalty and the game spirals from there. Now, can I ask you something? Yeah. And I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. But well, I want to go I want to go to the Pasta Coglu decision next. I don't know if that's where you're going. It's it Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go to that. I'll 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 save I'll, I'll I'll tighten my sphincter. I'll hang on. Okay. So, what you were talking about with Ange. Uh, look, I I love what he has done for this club. What you said about his what was it that he said? This is what we do, mate. Um, yeah. This is who we are. This is who we, uh, that's, I, I do admire that. Uh, um, but, I don't know. but at a certain point, <laughs> if you're, if you're strat, like if you're just trying, if you know, we're going to lose this game, like maybe his mindset was, I don't care what we decide to do here. I know that we're going to lose. So maybe, the way for me to to lose this game is with our dignity and for our players to feel pride in in our system and the way we want to do things. We'll lose the battle, but this is to win the war. If that was his mindset, then okay, fine. Um, but if it was, I believe this is our best course of action to try to get something from this game, then I just will... I, I can love him and I can disagree with him vehemently at the same time. If their strategy was, we're going to allow Chelsea to have 25 fast breaks in the next 35 minutes of this game and assume yeah. that we're going to stop all of them. Well, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And well, that's okay. Well, so so like, JJ, JJ Bull, uh, a different JJ on, on Twitter um, from T4 football, he did a thread. I'm kind of, I kind of see what he's saying. So he's like, look, 
the only way we can get back into this or stay in this game as a football game, as an attacking entity, is to play that high line. That's how we play. That's how we have to set up, even with nine. And what we're going to do is Vicario is going to sweep in behind. Now, for a, for a long time, some of it took Chelsea's... Um, sure, to Chelsea's... And they look Chelsea's they look, Chelsea looked very frustrated by it. It worked yeah, but for some... part of the time, but that was never... like That's not sustainable. For th- no. They, there was one point, JJ, where, ta- where, where Vicario had like his fourth sweeper-keeper moment. And yeah. I looked up, I was like, okay, this is kind of working. And then I looked up, it was the 64th minute. Yeah, like, They're yeah. not going to do this for another 25 minutes. This is yeah, going no. to break. They're going to score goals. You can't just rely on stopping breakaway after breakaway after breakaway. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It was, it was, but I, mean, I, ad- the- I admire it. There's part of me that admires it because it's a, he's a man of principle. And like I said, if, if his goal was to lose the battle, but win the war, that's fine. But if this well, if was-, it was to win this game or get a point from this game, then it was wrong. Well, I mean, the cheers by the 50,000 at the end of the game, sure. have you ever heard? Have well, because they work, heard? they work their asses off. Like they played, yeah, I mean, it's as hard as nine guys can play. And I think the fans appreciated the effort that was, that they put in. Can I, I honestly think though, in your heart of hearts, there's no, I mean, there's no other way you can be if you're, if you're, if you're being serious. You would have taken 11 v 11 and take a, a thrashing from Chelsea and just forget about it and get it out of the road. If it meant, if the if the deal is take your you take your hammering, in normal circumstances, but those injuries, Andrew. Well, they're kill. I mean, this is so. I mean, Jesus, that's. I mean, that's the thing. We can all um, luxuriate over Heek Barkley's content here. <laughs> you know, we really can. But there's the story for Spurs is this 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 result against your rivals, returning manager, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it's it shouldn't be a killer blow because of for so many reasons, but it it will be not because of the scoreline, but because of those injuries. I mean, Van der Ven's that's a, that's the one. I mean, look, oh, James Christ. Madison. James Madison. We'll see what that one is. He got hurt, stayed in for a few minutes, then came out. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen yet what they're is saying. It ankle about or that. knee? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what we do know. We know Christian Romero one half of this center back pairing, which has been very good, regardless of yeah. what he did today, has been excellent this season. We know he's gone for three games. Wolves, Villa, City, Romero, gone. Um, and then w- what we know is that Mickey Vandeven, who quietly, in a year where James Madison has been spectacular and where Guglielmo Vicario has been maybe the best goalkeeper signing so far of the season – I think there's been this conversation going around I've seen on Twitter a little bit of Spurs fans debating who Tottenham's most important player has been. And Vandeven seems to be the guy who had been winning that argument among Tottenham fans because of the way he plays in the back and it allows them to do so much up front. Because it, it's rare for a center back to also be that fast. Uh, and so he he does have this ability to make up so much of the ground behind them. And they, so they can play higher up. Um, for him to pull up the way that he did, I mean, I looked at that and I said, that's four months. I mean, we'll, we'll see in March, April. I, I don't know, but that looked so bad. Oh, he couldn't really? even, he could, I mean, I'm just, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going off of what I saw and my own negativity, <laughs> but like I mean, the he, way he grabbed it, he couldn't walk off the field. Like that to me felt like yeah, the worst possible muscle tear, which oftentimes involves surgery. And by the time you're listening to this, maybe we'll know, but like, so all, bare minimum, we know that 
their center back duo of Romero and Van de Ven are gone for at least three games. Van de Ven beyond that. Um, Madison probably, I don't know, one or two. Uh, I don't know what, I mean, Tottenham are already a little bit thin in the back since Ben Davies was out for this game. Like, I don't know what their Hoybier was basically playing center back for them tonight and, and did quite, quite a good job for a lot of this game. Um, but like Eric Dyer hadn't played a second until tonight. Well, now, now, he becomes, now he's going to start, he's starting for them again. Like that's well, where he, they're at. He becomes, and look, he's, he's played a kind of a, you know, we've seen um, social media coming out of Tottenham where he's like, what was that thing where we're on, on, it was on like a Thursday or a Friday. They're coming into training. Yeah. And they're the like are, asking the guys what their, what their music they were listening to or something like that. And, and he what they're like, wearing or something. Yeah. Something like that. And he's like, Oh, I know you're not going to use this anyway. Like it was kind of sad. It was no, there's sad. a hangdog looking like, he, like his time's up. Now you can argue he becomes their most important player. Um, because, well, Madison's not replaceable. That's the other thing. But assuming Madison is short-term and comes back and it's a rolled ankle or something like that, assuming Madison comes back in, like Dyer becomes their most important player because that's an area they just... Uh, well, the next three games, they're going to have to figure something out without Romero. But, um, yeah, Di- Dyer becomes their most important player because he has to be good. He just <laughs> has to be good. Yeah, and look, Bentoncourt being back now is obviously mm. enormous. You know what I think of that guy. Um, so that's not that there's ever a good time for your best attacking midfielder to get hurt, but Basuma, Bentoncourt, Saar is still a good midfield, a really good midfield. Um, but yeah, the, the center back situation is is this that was a disaster for Tottenham tonight. That's the one thing that that couldn't happen to them that did. Um so you know. We'll see where they go, where both of these teams go now. Tottenham, for everyone who's been waiting for reality to hit them, this is now that fork in the road, and we'll find out which way they go because this was this was not a good – I mean, whatever good feelings you might have coming out of it about them and how hard they played, once you step back and the dust settles from that, it's a 4-1 loss to a rival where you lost maybe your two most important players to injury – uh, and another one of them for three games to a red card. So which, which way do they go now? Is the system so great under Ange that it's next man up and they'll be all right? Or are they screwed? We'll find out. Uh, as for Chelsea, I mean, look, we can say all we want that we don't know what to make of this because they were playing against nine men and they didn't play particularly well. But JJ, I say all the time, um, like in basketball, when a guy is struggling, sometimes he just however meaningless it might be something he just needs to see a free throw go in he just needs to get an uncontested layup and watch the ball go through the net nicholas jackson has been one of the most criticized signings of the season so far for all clubs not just chelsea he registered a hat trick tonight however you want to spin it you're not you will not in his mind he registered a hat trick tonight doesn't matter what anybody else thinks okay for for a player who who is in desperate need of confidence he sees a three on the board next to his name for goals scored that's big that's big. And so we'll see where Chelsea goes from here. Did you see uh, someone uh, put out a video uh, and it's um, Eric uh, Erickson, um final game of the season for Manchester United after the game when they let the players on the field with their wives and families and the, their, his little kid is kicking the ball, you know, the Eric's Christian Eriksen and his wife are holding hand by hand and the, the kid is kicking the ball into the into the empty net, which they always do. 
And it's just taken forever for the kid to do it, like forever. It has to be guided towards the goal and keep it straight in line. And someone said Nicholas Jackson versus Tottenham, you know, that, you know, I, I that was, that was the, that's the way that hat trick has kind of been viewed by the nature of that game. It it reminded me, you know, those the, the uh, when we used to coach, we do training sessions, and it, well, it, it it's actually germane to your point where you'd have four v three attacking, or five v three attacking, and you know overloads and stuff like that, and and there was always three defenders who were isolated, and the idea was to isolate, was to have success for the attackers so they can bring that on into the game. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing like repetition of success. To bring to bring onto the field then in a, in a real game, but you always felt bad for the goalkeepers and the defenders because the drill is designed for them to be the fall guys. And so, in a way, maybe this is the perfect thing for Nicholas Jackson. Now gets his, like you said, gets his confidence up, gets it running, uh, you know, gets him in a, a frame of mind where he goes out and scores goals against against other teams. Talk talk. Cold Palmer was good for them. Like, I mean, he had one. I actually on the Odogi uh, sending off, um, it was a poor pass by him allowed Odogi to recover, and then the ball runs away from Odogi, and he just makes a just unnecessary, unnecessary, yeah, unnecessary tackle. But I thought he was, I, th- I think he might actually turn out to be. I was fairly critical of the signing because it was such a, a lot of money for a guy who had not substantial senior minutes for for City, but he he might turn out to be actually a bit more mature um, than his years and may turn out to be a good investment amongst many, 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 many investments for Chelsea. Yeah. Um, it, it, again, I was reading Football 365 after after the game because sometimes you need to read somebody else to like kind of focus your own thoughts. And the, one of their points was uh, how hard, like what you're saying, how hard it is to actually get a read on Chelsea from this game because everything that they did uh, was somehow brought about by a Tottenham action. The sendings off, the, the the crazy high line that they were playing. All of this was Tottenham making them do things either because of Tottenham's lack of personnel or because of Tottenham's tactical change. Like, there's no way any other coach I can think of would... See Sterling and Mudrick and think, right? I'm gonna, I'm, I've got nine men. I'm gonna go as high as I can. Just, it's cr- it's, honestly, it's it's bonkers. It's crazy. It's bonkers. It, it is. It just, it just wouldn't happen. Um, they dig in and then they try to play on the break. But um, maybe Ange thought that would bring back triggering memories for the fifty thousand there of Conte <laughs> and, and Mourinho, and maybe he just really wants to distance the club entirely from that whole um, shambles. So, like, so much of what Chelsea did was influenced by by Tottenham uh, punching themselves in the face uh, or you know tactically punching themselves in the face that does like that I still believe Pochettino is a good manager I still believe he can get something right at Chelsea I think the the thing is what happens when like say okay Chelsea I mean it's going to be hard to get I mean, they have Man City next, and then they have Newcastle. So, like, you know, those are difficult games to get a re- <laughs> A Brighton, United. Okay, I'm going to fast forward to December 10th. <laughs> there may not be too many wins in there. But, like, against Everton, we know how Everton are going to play. That's exactly the team that Chelsea will struggle against. Not that they, they'll dominate the game. They'll be, they'll be good. They'll be definitely the team that creates the chances. 
but Everton will be low block. Like, that's the kind of game that you'll get a better read of how they've progressed. Can they break down those teams? Because they should be higher up the table than they are. Um, sure. Tonight's just... Yeah, it's, it's it's not one of those games where I can come away and say conclusively, I, I know they're they're trending in the right way. It's great to win that game, but they should absolutely be winning that game considering the circumstances. Crazy game. Five goals oh. scored total, three others chalked off for various VAR reviews, 21 minutes of stoppage time combined <laughs> from the first half and second half, just and two rivals duking it out on... Uh, on a Monday night in North London. Crazy, crazy stuff. Can we can we just listen to Ange? Because Ange, this is just Ange's uh, comments about about referees and VAR and where we are in the game right now. And I think they're worth, worth listening to as we head into the next game that we're going to talk about. Any complaints at all about the Romero red or the Adoggi red? No, I've already said that, you know, that's whatever decision they've made, they've made. At some point, we've got to accept the referee's decision. You know, that's how I grew up. Yeah. And I keep saying that, and I said that last time, you know. This constant erosion of referees' authorities, well, this is where the game's going to get. They're not going to have any authority, and um, it's going to get diminished. And we're going to be in the control of somebody a few miles away watching a TV screen. So decision's a decision, you know. You either accept it or you don't. I've always been in the camp. You accept it. I've had, trust me, in 26 years, I've had plenty of bad ones. I've had plenty that have fallen in my favour. It is what it is. I mean, those are my sentiments. It's kind of echoing with what they were saying at halftime, too. Um, I forget if it was Robbie Musto or whoever it was, basically saying that this is this is where. Like, I think it was Robbie Musto who said, "Look, Var, they got everything right, but at what cost?" Is kind of what he was saying, and I think that's sort of what Andrew's saying too. Is like, yeah, you know, this is this is where we're headed, where it's going to be some guy somewhere else coming to these decisions and so with that let's move from tottenham chelsea over to arsenal newcastle um, where arsenal they lose one nil to newcastle and Mikel arteta (laughs) loses his mind um there's a lot to come out of this one i've got it kind of broken down into a couple different things here let's start let's just start with what of course was the biggest moment and that's this controversial newcastle goal uh which proved to be the winner Mm. Um, so the question is, should it have counted? If not, which of the three elements that were all being reviewed for it was the one that should have chalked it off? Now, for me, I'm, I'm fine. Like going through those elements, the first one being, did the ball go out? I'm fine with the ruling being that it did not. We've seen that before. I don't care what the space appeared to be between the ball and the end line. We 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 all know now that that's not necessarily indicative. We saw it in in Qatar with, between Spain and Japan, where we all thought that went out, but then you see the overhead view. Turns out it didn't. You play to the whistle. Joe Willock did, and he was rewarded ultimately for it. I'm I'm fine with that part being allowed okay. to continue. The offside. I mean, look, there's not there's a lot of cameras in that place. There wasn't one to conclusively tell you whether or not that was an offside. It's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? That that's it. So there's nothing more. I don't know how you argue it. Like that's, you can't call offside if you can't see whether or not the ball was being played at the point where there was an offside player. So Mm. I'm fine with that as well. I don't know what, I don't know what else to do with that. Um, Then finally the push on Gabrielle, this is the one 
this is the one where I think if you wanted to chalk that goal off, this yeah. is the this is the one you would point to. Now here's I where I foul. here's where I come down on it. I think it is too, but I will at least say it's it's close. So um I was reading Dale Johnson, ESPN FC's officiating expert. Um he says this. He says the freeze frame images look damning, but in real time it doesn't look anywhere near as incriminating. Indeed, on the initial replays, few people seem to think there was even a foul to look at. It's a borderline decision for VAR to overturn. Some will think this is definitely a foul, others that there's not enough in it. It is is it clear and obvious? Arteta at least has a case on this, but the series of events on the goal didn't warrant the response from Arsenal. So here's where I come down on it. I think I agree with you. I think I've I've seen it. It's hard to ignore the freeze frames. I think it's a foul. But JJ, what Dale Johnson is saying here, where he says the freeze frame images look damning, but in real time, it doesn't look anywhere near as incriminating. Isn't this kind of what I know? This is sort of what you have specifically have been talking about. You talk all the time about the deceptiveness. People send me screenshots that they send you. Like you have to allow things to to happen in real time. It was a close play. It was a subjective call. They went with what they had on the field. Like, I don't see it. Again, I probably think it's a foul, but it's not so egregious to me. It's not some great injustice that, like, what I'm getting at is the reaction from Arteta and Arsenal was was absurd to me. This was this was a, a crazy emotional reaction. And, look, I understand Mikel Arteta's frustration he throws a temper tantrum afterwards he said it's not a goal for many reasons it's not a goal for more than one reason at least it's not a goal and there's too much at stake here we put so much effort it's so difficult to compete at this level it's a disgrace i feel embarrassed more than 20 years in this country nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world like i mean it's a subjective call and and Mikel Arteta is the same guy who, after the Liverpool incident against Spurs, which which we can all agree was far more egregious than however egregious this was. Mm. You know what Arteta's quote was after that, when he was asked about that? Quote from Mikel Arteta, we need to understand that mistakes happen. Unquote. <laughs> wow. Yep. Changing our tune a bit, are we now? Like... It's just over the top, and it's not a situ- and it's not a situation for Arsenal to have to release a statement about this. Oh, embarrassing! Like, like their embarrassing. own manager said after the Liverpool game, for the one of the most egregious mistakes we've ever seen from an officiating standpoint. We need to understand that mistakes happen. You don't release statements for an officiating mistake that, by the way, may not have even been an actual mistake. I mean, give me a break with this stuff. I mean, these guys like see. This is why. VAR is going to go away. I don't know if it's going to go away. Maybe we've crossed the point of no return, but like it's going to go away because these guys, it's now, it's a thing now where this is, it's a pile, we're in a pile on moment and Arsenal releasing statements about a subjective call not going their way. Like this is where it's at. And this is, this stuff is just going to keep happening. The outrage has now reached the point where teams, this has become easy now for teams to just pick on this and pile on this thing. Everyone hates it. We'll score points with our people. Uh, you know, so like this, this to me was, I understand his frustration, but like enough, enough with no, some of this. I, I just don't think I, the statement's embarrassing. Liverpool, when they issued their statement after the VAR thing, it was utterly embarrassing. You know, I remember Liverpool had this threatening lawyer speak at the end of theirs. Um, Arsenal's is just pointless. Like utterly pointless. Liverpool at, le- at least had some menace. Oh, we're going to do something. Arsenal's was like, Arsenal Football Club wholeheartedly supports Mikel Arteta's post-match comments after yet more unacceptable refereeing in VAR errors on Saturday evening. 
blah, 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 blah. We support the ongoing efforts of Chief Refereeing Officer Howard Webb and would welcome working together to achieve the world-class officiating standards our league demands. Oh. Like, it's a nothing. It's just like nothing. It's 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 um, it's a fart of violent rage from, from both of them. And it's not a disgrace. It's not... I mean, if you want to bring it back to the football just for one second, Arsenal didn't do enough to win that game. Well, yeah, yeah. How about releasing the statement about one shot on target or a point six xg that they had? Where's the statement on that? Yeah, I knew they were losing this game when um, Declan Rice had that header. Um, it was bouncing up, and he and I thought, yeah, the right. He was shaping to head it, and he heads it past the post instead of going to the right of the goalkeeper. And I was like, Arsenal are struggling to to get any kind of chances here. In the context of the game, that's a big chance. And if they don't take it, it's easy for Newcastle, who have become these dogs of war under Eddie Howe. Uh, Eddie Eddie Howe had comments before the game about, um, do you know who he's speaking to? But I read them, and it was about how he's upset when he finished at Bournemouth that people thought he was a manager that had nice team play nice teams that play nice football, but they couldn't defend, mm-hmm. which was kind of the case at Bournemouth. And he took that to heart and he used his time off to kind of create this hybrid Diego Simeone style uh, style outfit that actually can play good football, but are also like well versed in the dark arts and time wasting and and, and, and in some cases good defending too. Um, but like Arsenal didn't do enough to win that game. And I don't know, like just to parrot Potch again, I, I, I would say one thing. I think I think people should get on with get on with this. You know, you've lost the game. Could have been a foul. All right. Um, ball was it out? There's nothing conclusive to say it was out or it was in. We just don't know. We really don't know. I, one thing about that, I don't understand why all boundary lines aren't aren't covered by Hawkeye. I mean, it's th- this this league is dripping in cash. Yeah, it wouldn't be expensive. If we've goal line technology that works real well, we can do we can have a Hawkeye system in, in as well, and we'd know for sure. Just on the boundaries, just cover yourself on that. But like just the, the incandescent rage now and the way supporters are absolutely wound up. And they want you to think that the that there are bad calls, there are things I don't agree with, but that's always been the case. In fact, the things that are making it worse are these microscopic uh screenshots this this attention to mind-numbing detail i mean you saw how long the var checks took tonight in in chelsea tottenham that is a direct result of 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 referees and officials now being scared making sure everything is a thousand percent right because we can't handle the the bratish childish response um and it's almost always from the bigger clubs Almost always from the bigger clubs, from your Liverpools and your Arsenal's. Mm-hmm. I know they carry the most support and the the most noise on social media, but we, your your what supporters now want is something football's never had, and it is the complete and accurate adjudication of the game. It's never been like this. Okay, you're, there's no utopia, there's no Xanadu where all these calls are got correct. You have to get on with it. It's imperfect. And sometimes it's going to screw your team. I don't even think this is a screwing situation. I don't. Yeah. Um. And um. I, th- I think if the referee wanted to say, you know what? On review, I think that that was a foul. Uh, by, uh, by, by Jean Linton on uh, 
on Gabriel. Fair enough, but I don't know. What about your goalkeeper in that whole incident? But Raya didn't look very clever there. How is he beyond the ball? You know, waving a hand in the air like he's hailing a cab. I'm sick and tired of talking about decisions and not talking about football. Yeah. I really am. And this and I know that game didn't give you much football to talk about. It really didn't. But I think if you look at it in football football terms, Arsenal were poor. Did that mean they deserve to lose? Maybe not. We need to understand the mistakes happen. He said that after the Luis Diaz VAR catastrophe. Because but it, but on a they... subjective borderline foul, we're releasing yeah. statements. I mean, like it's just a complete oh, breakdown God, of the VAR ridiculous. system of communication in VAR is a mistake that we just need to accept. Whereas a couple of, you know, it's a hissy fit. My my last it's two things on, the, on this VAR stuff. Uh, the first one is, is I'm kind of parroting a line that I've said before on previous um, podcasts about this situation similar to this. You know, like the hissy fit, you're right. Mikel Arteta, I think, is one of those managers who who is prone to this. He's one of many. Not I'm not just singling him out. Klopp is one. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of these guys who are like this. And you just know that, like, in this situation, if VAR didn't exist, Arteta would have been holding that same press conference demanding that this is why we need VAR. We have the technology. Why are we not employing it? That ball went out of play. This is not right. This is an injustice. He would the same statements would have been released. So I almost don't even see it as a VAR issue. The the and like what you mentioned also, JJ, about the problem is keep VAR, get rid of VAR. None of it matters anymore. As long as we live in a an instant replay world, this is this is the reality that we're in. There is going to be this this micro officiating from fans online, from media members, um, screenshots no matter what like this is this is the reality so you can either we can either continue to talk about it no matter what the future is for this sport from an officiating perspective or you just kind of ignore the noise and just understand what Mikel Arteta said after the Liverpool incident we need to understand that sometimes mistakes happen it's just hard for people to do that when they're seeing screenshots I mean there were things that were missed in the game that were egregious (laughs) but it was nothing to do with that goal I mean, the worst decision to me was not to red card uh, Gamares for a forearm blow to the back of Jorginho's head. Jar- the VAR checked it and decided... Fabio Vieira. Wasn't... wasn't it Vieira? No, it was Jorginho. Oh, why did I think... Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was um, Gamares, like, just forearm into the back of, back of the head. Like, um, the VAR checked it, decided it wasn't violent conduct, conduct because um, it was the forearm rather than the elbow. What? Like, like that to me is something to be absolutely... You can make the argument Newcastle should have been uh, down to 10 men, as should Arsenal have for um, for the Havertz tackle on Longstaff, which was reckless, out of control. And if it caught his plant foot, that's a broken leg. Probably, yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. The the Gamaris thing is interesting. So, he... he I mean... It's one of those things. He's a great player, that guy. He he really is. But this is this is the kind of game, and, and what happened with him in this game, it's the kind of thing where I think it's okay now for your view of that player to change. Yes, because he had, like I said about Romero, this was this was a white lights moment for Gamaras where he he couldn't see and it was just blind rage and and he lost his mind out there. Somehow he avoided a red card. 
But like the manner in which he lost control of his emotions on a, in a few different occasions in a fairly tight window of time, specifically that that forearm, which I don't know how he wasn't sent off for. I think your view of him can change now where like moving forward when referees are getting ready for a game and they're in their locker room talking, like if they're doing a Newcastle game, Gamaris is now a guy where they have to say, keep an eye on that one. That was an unhinged performance and uh, the officials should have taken it. I mean, he didn't get a yellow till what was it after the 70th minute or later on in that? Yeah. Um, very surprising, very surprising. Um, and to let that go is, but but it's also indicative. Like Newcastle are much more robust now; they're much more physical. I think this is actually the first physical test I've seen Arsenal fail in a while, um, because because they got like physically they were bullied a little bit. And I know it's not. Um, there's the fear factor now. I know it's not like 1999, but I mean, I think. You think of some of Patrick Vieira in particular. They're not getting away with that. Someone is going to physically stamp their authority on that now. Well, Havertz, sl- Havertz tried to. I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, yeah, violent game, a violent game, busy game. Not not a great game though. And and again, bogged down in in in, in the temper tantrums of of uh, Mikel Arteta. Yeah, and um. And yeah, and, and by the way, just 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 in the interest of in, interest of balance, just to repeat, Liverpool's statement and Jurgen Klopp talking about replays after what happened against Tottenham that was embarrassing too. This is also embarrassing. Yeah. Sure, we've been over that. Yeah, no, but you, Andrew, trust me, you you, you got to be clear on that. And um, maybe this is why both Liverpool, as we move on to Liverpool right now, yeah. um, maybe maybe those results of the weekend are why Liverpool and Arsenal. Won't win the league this season. One one for Liverpool against Luton Town, mm. um, and it was only one one thanks to an incredibly emotional equalizer deep in stoppage time from Luis Diaz, who, um, upon scoring that goal, lifted up his shirt to honor his uh, his father, who is still being held captive somewhere in Colombia, uh, with an undershirt that read uh, "Libertad para Papa, Freedom for Dad." Uh, so just to go through this before we get through to the rest of the game, this the latest that I've seen with regards to Diaz's father. So the ELN is the organization claiming responsibility for the kidnapping. They have said that they plan they do plan to release him. Um, reading here from the BBC, um, the rebel group holding Luis Diaz's father hostage has demanded quote security guarantees before his release. The ELN said the ongoing military and police search will delay the release and increase the risks, Colombian media reported. Uh, The ELN reiterated its intention to release Diaz's father, quote, as soon as possible. But in a statement signed by Commander Jose Manuel Martinez Quiros, it added that the current scale of the search operation undertaken by the Colombian authorities was delaying that process. Quote, we are making efforts to avoid incidents with government forces, the ELN said. The area is still militarized. They are carrying out flyovers, disembarking troops, broadcasting and offering rewards as part of an intense search operation. The situation is not allowing for the execution of the release plan quickly and safely where Mr. Luis Manuel Diaz is not at risk. Uh, If operations continue in the area, they will delay the release and increase the risk. I mean, JJ, there's more here, but I I don't mean to try to get into the head of an organization that would kidnap innocent civilians. But for the love of God, what, what were they expecting? Did they not think that there would be some intense police and military presence to try to recover this person? Like... Well, and the AP News 
they reported on August 3rd that Colombia's government and the National Liberation Army, or ELN, have formally begun a six-month ceasefire. Wouldn't wouldn't a ceasefire include n- not taking civilian hostages? You would think. One would think. Yes. Um, what a what a ridiculous statement. Hey, don't. <laughs> we're going to kidnap this guy and we're going to release him, but don't look for him while we're doing that. Yeah. Um, also, too, I I haven't seen. I don't know if you have. What was usually with kidnappings? Was this a ransom kidnapping? Was there like what was the reason? Why? Like, why did this happen? Why were these people taken? Well, I assumed it was ransom. Um, uh, well, Colombia's ELN justifies taking Luis Diaz's father as the as economic hostage. This is from the city paper in Bogota. Um, uh, the ELN leader claims um, uh, claims that Manuel Diaz is being held as an economic hostage. By the guri- by the guerrillas, citing that the organization's primary source of revenue come from detaining civilians. Um, oh, here we go. In a video statement, Pablo Beltran cautioned Colombians that despite a bilateral ceasefire agreement reached between the ELN and the Colombian government under President Gustavo Petro, the guerrilla the guerrilla group did not agree to cease their detainments. So I mean, um, this is this is their business, JJ. Some some countries are in the tourism industry, some uh, hospitality management. They're they're in the kidnapping industry. I mean, they're uh, they they're described as a, a Marxist Leninist guerrilla insurgency group, but they're branching out, man. It's a new world. You got to you, you got to diversify. Jesus Christ, how scary is this stuff? I mean, I, look, fact- I, the the good part is that they have said that they their intention is to release him. So I I got to believe that that is inevitable um, and but i still. often wonder in these scenarios like do the risks and the downsides of kidnapping high profile people or the families of high profile people outweigh whatever benefits they think they'll accrue from it um because just the the eyes of the world on them now um in, intense uh, scrutiny and investigation from the government forces that they've been fighting since what 1964 or whenever like so um. Yeah, but but like Diaz's mental fortitude to go out and score a yeah. vital equalizer for Liverpool, just, just absolutely tremendous. Yeah. Um, because I I'm honestly, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to get up. I mean, I I my my sole focus would be, would be worrying, and and concern and stress and dread. So as for the rest of the game. Um, which seems far more trivial, but still probably important to Diaz. I mean, it was a big moment for him. Um, first on quickly on the Luton side, because I don't want to I don't want to miss that here. What a great goal that they that they scored in this one. Great counterattacking goal from uh, yeah. Tahit Chong. Ross Barkley pulling the strings. How about that? Well, this game was kind of um, marked by what you'd say Luton Town's thrifty recruitment. I wasn't sure about bringing Ross Barkley back to the Premier League, nor Andros Townsend. Yeah. But, like, they both performed really, really well. And Luton paid nothing for them. So that was kind of the two canny signings in, in Luton's best performance since the return. Um, The signing of Chidozi Ogbena from, from Rotherham seems very, very good. He gave Trent Alexander-Arnold a really tough time. Like, it was basic stuff uh, from Luton in terms of, Get the ball to Agbene, 
and then get him in behind because they know Trent Alexander-Arnold's weakness or his positional weakness will be um, going the other way. And Ogbeni made the inexplicable decision to try and center a ball when he was one-on-one with Allison, when he should have just tried to slide it under him and score. So, so you know, Luton were... You'd give him a chance of staying up, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, they're they're they're, they're out of the relegation zone on goal difference. Uh, I don't know, man. I was, I was impressed, uh, and, and that obviously that stadium is such a throwback. Uh, the supporters um, in on top of them. Uh, it's um, you know what? If, if I wasn't like desperate for Liverpool to win, I would say that was a fun game. Yeah, the the away end is. I mean, it's fascinating for a lot of reasons, many of which have been documented from outside the stadium. But within the stadium, just seeing like the number of times, like any shot that's just like a few yards over the net, it just keeps smashing into like that, like siding kind of yeah. at the top of the stadium. Like it comes back in. Yeah. I don't know. There's something very like high school about it. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's our, our, <laughs> fight, our fight indoor soccer when you yeah. just leather it and it just bounces straight back to you. Um, so let's now get to the elephant in the room with this one, JJ. It was only it was only a couple days ago where we were talking about Darwin Nunez yeah. and you were discussing the scenario of I guess we're just gonna have to live with his worldies and put up with his how in the name of God did he miss that? And this is yeah. just this is just the Darwin Nunez existence, and sure enough, that that happened. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, the first surprise was that Salah is that close to goal and he's not going himself. But equally, he pops it down perfectly for Nunes and Andrew, a top striker, just taps that home, right? Um, He tries to hit that barrier behind the stand again, uh, just balloons it over the bar. And it's in a game that had descended into a bit of a scrap, that would have been just that little bit of class. Like Liverpool put together some really nice moves in the game, but never finished them. And to score that would have, I think it would have taken the air out of everything for Luton. And then Liverpool can go on. And it didn't happen. And if anything, Luton were the ones that were were kind of uh, lifted by that that miss. Yeah. Um, now, I do have a thought on this because I what you what you've said about it is right. But I was watching, I saw Steve Nichol on um, ESPN FC. He, call, he called what happened, he, he called Nunez unprofessional. I know. For this. No, no. Give me a break, man. Un, like, unprofessional is showing up late to training. Or like what Gimaris did. Like, losing your mind and just, like, hitting people. <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> yeah. this is a mistake. Like, let's yeah. not like careful when we start throwing words around like unprofessional for simple mistakes. And furthermore, like if you want to talk about unprofessional, I mean, you kind of glossed over it, JJ, but I, I'm not going to gloss over it. You know, I love Salah and I think your friends that, that don't love him are out of their minds. But why is that ball coming to Nunez in the first place? What the hell happened to Mo Salah there? Why is he just not scoring that goal himself? He either passed it which is a ridiculous decision for a proven goal scorer like him, or he mishit it from three yards out in front of goal, which by Steve Nichols' definition is unprofessional. Either one of those two things, what is what is Salah doing? Why is that ball ever even making its way to Nunez? I think that what Salah did there is just as bad as Nunez missing that opportunity. Well, I don't want to, I mean, this could get tedious, so let's just 
deal with the fact that the ball bounced in a position where Nunez should absolutely score and he didn't. And yeah. it just feed it like it feeds into well, I I think I said that, you know, he will he's gonna score he's gonna score goals for you, but he's also gonna miss big chances. And you wonder at the end of the season, when you add them up, where that leaves Liverpool, how that affects them. And I I know Ken Early said last season about him that he's a he's a good he's a he's a bad player in a good team and he would be a good player in a bad team. That kind of that kind of character. He's not a bad uh, player. I, I can't look, you know I'm team Nunez. Yeah. I, I have been uh he's not a bad player and he's not unprofessional. Oh he's not unprofessional. No no no. I mean that's that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't he's, agree with he's, that. He's he's just gonna be one of these players that may frustrate until until maybe he this part of his game recedes and and he starts I mean, finishing more n- of these. His numbers so far are good this season, so you're hoping that that is an aberration. But we just know it's not. I mean, Jurgen, enough it, to know. I saw Jurgen Klopp's press conference only a few days before this game, where he was like, he was talking about how proud he is of, of how far Nunez has come. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna still have to live with some of these moments. But he's, I mean, in the fir- in the first half. There was a brilliant ball over the top from Alexander Arnold. He's running full pelt, controls it, and just flips it, and it clips the top of the crossbar. And it's a yeah. great move. And he's, you know, in that that position, that's good skill, that's great run, and he's desperately unlucky. So it's, uh, he's one of those guys. He's again, I've come become accustomed to such clinical, sleek, controlled, skillful finishing from Liverpool for so long, and now this guy is a little bit different. And I, I guess I have to embrace difference. What I won't embrace, Andrew, before we get off this game. Okay. Um, love that Luton are back up. I, I, lo- I do love that stadium. I, I like people to be reminded that this is what football actually is for most of the country. It's not Premier League blitz and glamour. Um, but Luton Town supporters are, a lot of them, or a large portion of them, are a disgrace. Like a genuine, not a Miguel Arteta disgrace, a, a, a real disgrace. Here's Jamie Carraher, um, who spoke about this on the Sky broadcast. At the start of the season, I was involved in something about tragedy chanting and supporters coming together. Carraher, this was him. It was, yeah, live on Sky. I've just heard uh, something a couple of times in this game. Supporters have got to have rivalry, but we are better than that. A lot of clubs have been guilty of that over the years, but football fans should be better than that. Um, that was Luton chanting, always the victims, it's never your fault, which is a reference to those that were killed in uh, the Hillsborough disaster and uh, also a reference to those that were killed at Heisel Stadium disaster in 1985. Um this this stuff is like it is the absolute it's the one thing not the one thing there are other things that supporters do that you make you want to hold your nose but this kind of stuff is it's just dreadful and um they're now football clubs are now going to target uh supporters who are caught singing these songs they're going to be issued bans um and I don't know quite what the hate speech laws are in England. I'd have to look into them. I'm not sure I'm comfortable about anybody uh, being arrested for speech. Uh, but but apparently this is an option now with this tragedy chanting that's happening. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's Hillsborough or the Munich air disaster or the Bradford fire or whatever it is, like it's, it is kind of, it's not kind of sick. It's really sick, a sick place for, for people to go to at a football game. And, um, and in fairness to Carragher, it's, I rarely hear it mentioned uh, on a on a TV broadcast when it's happening. Another another thing, I heard the Luton fans singing "God Save the King," like just singing the national anthem because Liverpool supporters, famously, or a lot of them, consider themselves Scouse, not English, and don't like the English establishment because of the things it's done to the city. Um, but uh, I don't know. The, it was uncomfortable. Like you could clearly hear it, particularly in the first half. Mm. Um, and Luton have previous on this um, for chanting the name of a far-right fascist um, about five years ago, and their CEO had to step in and ask them not to chant that that person's name. Um, so maybe he'll step in again and say something about this. But it's just... It's, you would hope somebody from the club would step forward if they haven't they have in the Yeah, they have in the past. It's just, it's grim. It's, it's very, very grim. Yeah. Um. Let's see, a couple other Premier League notes before uh, we take a break and come back on the other side with a, a couple of U.S. things, a Bayern Munich thing. Um, Manchester United, JJ, they win yet another game in dramatic fashion where they don't play all that well. Um, and I'm sure this will now surely spur them on to bigger and better things. <laughs> it was it was, it was, was such a bad game. And, and there were two teams involved in it. I mean, Fulham, they are not the same side without Mitrovic. They're they're just not the same. It's not a they they weren't good to watch, Andrew. And you never I don't know, I ne- I never felt like they really carried a, a serious threat. But United I didn't feel that way either. It was it was desperately bad to watch. And then you've got this little bit of brilliance from Bruno Fernandez. And that's what it was. Just a bit of class. First of all, we've got to admonish the Americans in this. Comedy defended from Tim Ream. Like a comedy. And Anthony Robinson. Like like uh, someone said it was, have you ever seen that account, Crap 90s Football, where they just show goal mouth scrambles, guys hitting the post from like three yards and it bouncing back, hitting them in the face and it comes back and hits the crossbar and hits another guy in the face and goes into the net. This was the kind of thing that was in the lead up to it, but the finish was quality um, from, from uh, Bruno, or the setup was. But uh, that prompted David De Gea to um, to do something that could have been misconstrued and was initially, but now makes sense. You are not the right captain. Uh, zipped mouth emoji um, on Bruno's Instagram post showing him celebrating the goal after the game. That was in reference to Roy Keane, his comments, which were that Bruno Fernandes shouldn't be captain of Manchester United. He'd be a terrible captain to have because it was moaning and complaining. Yeah. Um. So, again, like you said before, at least United won. They won. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you just have to find a way to stop the bleeding. And um, dreadful performance, dreadful game, but uh, three points for United. Yep, uh, big three points. And and Bruno needed that. I think it was his two. Did I see it was his two hundredth appearance too for the club? Um, scoring yeah. a, a hugely important goal that they they he did couldn't have. Need. He couldn't have thought when he joined United few years ago that this would be the period of United he was getting. I mean, oof. Well, they, they do win, and it was important for them. Um, Manchester City, they destroy Bournemouth as um, Jeremy Doku just continues to to ramp up his case to be considered the signing of the season. 
Uh, it'll go down as a goal and four assists for him. Kind of crazy that it wasn't two goals and three assists. Akanji got credit, obviously, for the for City's third and what looked like it was Doku's second. Akanji didn't know anything about it, just hit off him. If it didn't, it might have gone wide. So it actually was probably, I mean, it's probably an important deflection off of him, but it's just funny to see. Like, he had no clue what had happened, and now, oh, I scored. How about that? Um, so... JJ, I I don't know what to make of this. Manchester City scoring six goals and Holland not scoring a single one of them. Is that really, really good? Is that weirdly concerning? Is that just whatever we move on? Whatever we move on. I think it's whatever we move on. I don't know what to read. I didn't see the game. All I saw was highlights of Doku uh, twisting people's blood. He's incredible. Uh, he's really incredible, this guy. Yeah, he's been good so far. Very good. Very, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I, have nothing to say about this game, honestly. Um, except to say that all of a sudden, while everybody's been floundering, while everybody's been kind of in a bit of a flux in the last few days, look at Manchester City back on top of the Premier League. Yep. A point up on Spurs right now. Uh, after Tottenham, I think, um, lost there's real fears with everything that's happened that that's how things are going to stay for the next foreseeable. Uh, if you're, I mean, if you're a betting man, yeah, I would, I would advise you to put your money on Manchester City. Yep. Um, but uh, it is early. Mm. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. If I have a lot of confidence in that statement, but. Yeah. Um, JJ, one more from me here. Uh, Everton settled for a kind of a frustrating draw versus Brighton, a late own goal, um, wild deflection off of Ashley Young that then kind of looped over Jordan Pickford. Um, felt almost not quite as ridiculous, but almost a little bit Omar Gonzalez ish Trinidad own goal. Um, that was worse because it was like a wild swing of his leg. This just like happened to it was hit from off way of him. further out as well. I just mean like the the way the deflection looped perfectly over the keeper. In an I, I, to stop I it. still think Omar Gonzalez is one of the great, great flukes. It's the that's, great, great yeah. freak goals. Um, with Everton, so again, like it's a game where they they nearly beat what we consider to be a good opponent. Um, Let's just pretend like if we were doing another jump to conclusions week now, and my conclusion was Everton will stay up. Would you jump now? I think at the moment, yeah, because there's enough sludge underneath them. But again, again, uh, there's a there's a panel out there with a verdict that we I, I keep going back to it. That that twelve point deduction is would change. Oh, yeah, you're right. That so much. Um, I thought I thought Everton played well in spells, um, but I thought Matoma in the second half was very, very good. And I suppose Everton defended well to keep them at bay. 1-1 one, one is about right. Uh, Lewis Dunk scored an amazing goal that was ruled out for offside. Yeah. It, just an amazing vibe. <laughs> so good. Um, I, I think it's a good point for Everton. You know, the thing, the thing with Everton in, in wondering whether or not they're going to stay up, you know, we've been... We've we've continued to say that there's enough bad teams beneath them that that could push them up. I I will that, that when we do that, it's not really giving Everton any credit. It's kind of us dancing around the fact that they're terrible, but they may not be the most terrible. I, I do want to 
I, I part of me does continue to feel that way. They're not very good, but I, I want to give them at least a little bit of credit and and suggest that their form is not quite as terrible as maybe what we thought it was going to be coming into this season. They're eighth in the Premier League in non-penalty XG. They're seventh in shots on target per ninety, but their goals per shot their goals per shot on target is nineteenth. So when you look at those things, it kind of tells you a couple things. Yes, they're not as ruthless in their finishing as other teams are, but like combining that XG with that number of shots that they put on target, it does tell you that they're also a bit unlucky. And you know, stats that signify luck one way or another, unlucky or very lucky, they do sometimes have a tendency of evening out. So if Everton do continue to play like this, it's not just that there's a lot of crappy teams beneath them. It is also that if they play this way the rest of the season, they will play their way into not being relegated. It won't just be they're not the most bad. They'll they'll yeah. have had a hand in it as well. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, they're like you said, not good, but definitely maybe underlying uh, underlying uh, figures. I actually don't know what to say about Everton. Honestly, they're, like you watch them, they're. They're just blah, right. and hopefully they're not blah enough that they go down. So that's pretty much. You said that was your last thing. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't have anything else. I know that we. we uh, I did have Villa and Nottingham Forest on here as well. I don't know if you had anything on that. Yeah, I do. First of all, yeah. um, great win for Nottingham Forest. <clears throat> Villa were flying. That's a that's a significant uh, defeat for them away from home. Uh, Andrew Matt Turner was dropped. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That is not good. Uh, Steve Cooper had this to say, and he said it to Nottingham Live, one of my favorite online publications. Mm. It felt like the right time. We have been pleased with Matt, and we have got a strong goalkeeping department, and then we want guys fighting for position, and it's just a change that we feel is the right one to make. (laughs) That's a word salad for, yeah, we had to get him out. It was the right time to take him out. It's a bit of a uh, Raya Ramsdale explanation. How can I make yeah. this sound as not bad as possible? Correct. This is this is a disaster. Now I've I've seen him do great things within games and then bafflingly bad things across a few games this season. And I guess they've weighed that weighed it up and decided we're better off giving our twenty nine year old goalkeeper that we've signed uh, a run ahead of ahead of uh, Matt Turner. But our number one is a number two again. And I, I just don't like that. Don't like it. And um, no. it's really, really worrying. Uh, and I wonder if he's already eye in January because they've got... They, and also for them to win against quality opposition in the first game he's out in. Oh, just... I, Yeah, I don't know. I'm not surprised. If you watched him, you wouldn't be surprised. But I thought they'd hang on a little bit longer because he has made good saves at times. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not what you want. Um, we'll it's good see. Job we don't have a major tournament next summer. Oh wait, we do. Yeah, we'll see if he's able to somehow get his way back into that starting position. Once you lose it, it's hard. Um, it's it's hard to get that back. It's not. Yeah, that's not. You're right. I'm glad you pointed that out. It's not good. That's not good. Um, I'll tell you what, let, let's on that note, let's go ahead. Let's collect ourselves. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. Still a few things, important things uh, still to get to here on Caught Offside. You're not going to want to miss it. More Caught Offside still to come. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, back now on Caught Offside, JJ. Election Day. We're recording this on the eve of, but it is now uh, Election Day in the United States. What are we electing? Uh, where I live, um, a town mayor. Oh, okay. Um, what else? I don't. I guess it might vary depending on depending on where you uh, live. Can I uh, say I don't care about any of that and I want to talk about something different? Is that rude? Yeah, it is rude. I happen to think election day is one of the most important days of the year. I think and, I uh, think for you I to th- be so flippant about it, I think it's um I think it's an ugly side of you. It's not a side of you I would have expected. You're a very political person. I am. I am. Um, and I care and I watch I watch the news, I engage, I read a lot, but I uh, I want to talk about it feels bitter because you can't vote. You're not a citizen yet. Maybe one day. Uh, and I feel like I, I feel like it was a, a comment that was dripping with bitterness. No, I really I can't wait to vote. I can't. Please, God, uh, I will be a citizen. I, I look forward to doing that. And I do care about it. But it's just I've got something I want to say. Wow. I'm um, I'm so late to this. It's embarrassing. But after five years, I'm finally listening to American Fiasco uh, by Roger Bennett about the 2000, uh, the 1998 uh, World Cup. It's, it's about way more than that. It's about the team from 94 onwards and just what happened at the Copa America in 95, um, the road to uh, the World Cup in 1998. I'm three episodes in. It's absolutely brilliant. It is such, I am just imbibing so much of this team, like years where they, I just, I didn't know any of this. I couldn't have. I was just a, I was a teenager home in, in in ireland and like i knew a lot of u.s players more than the average person but i didn't know these stories it's so good and i haven't got to the fiasco part yet um yeah no fair well, play Roger, the fiasco Roger being that that tournament itself for the u.s because it was yes 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 disastrous. however then but no it's steve sampson getting the job um how they finished fourth at Copa america we would we would rip off our arms and any other appendage you can think of to get fourth next summer, wouldn't we? Would that be? Would I sign up for that right now? Hmm. I think we would. Oh, I think we would. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not ready to sign that contract. Okay. All right. But regardless, it's 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 so good. Um, and uh, once you get over the initial 
I'm Roger Bennett, and I'm going to make it slightly about me before I make it about the podcast. Oh, Once wow. you get over that, it, it's brilliant. And he's done a great job, I have to say. Oh, all he, right. it, it, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, great job by Roger Bennett and uh, WNYC Studios. It's this, this doesn't age. This is U.S. soccer history, and, it, and, and everyone should listen to it. Far be it from you to make something about yourself. I understand uh, your, your criticism there. No, I, I'm, I, I, uh, but I, I know myself. I know that I do it. I know, I know who I am. And in many ways, that's quite freeing. He also did one of my favorite, another one of my favorite podcasts that was not Men in Blazers. He did the, um, on the, what anniversary was it? Was it 20th anniversary? I forget exactly, but the, the Band of Brothers podcast, what was, it was basically a rewatch of, all 10 parts of band of brothers. And for each episode, he had on a key member of that episode, a, a different actor. Watch it, was, it was spectacular. If you love band of brothers, and I've said before on this podcast, it's my favorite thing ever, whether movie TV, I don't know what you, it's a mini series. I don't know what you consider it. It's my favorite yeah. thing that I've ever seen. And I'm doing a podcast that he winter. hosted of it. Then you, you have to listen to the podcast that he did on it in conjunction with, with you watching it. It's, it's fantastic. You'll love it. You'll honestly love it. Honestly, I, I'm doing a, I'm doing a uh, rewatch of Band of Brothers this winter, and um, okay. Well, I highly I suggest I you do this this podcast along with it. So there's well, our, I will. So there's our ode to Roger Bennett here. So well done, Roger Bennett. Yeah, he's doing just fine. Uh, JJ, it appears as hey. though uh, it appears as though that um, no official announcement yet at time of recording, but the U.S. women have their uh, apparently reportedly a new manager. It's a and it's a pretty big one. Uh, Emma Hayes of uh, of Chelsea, um, pretty significant appointment for the U.S. women. She's been incredibly successful with Chelsea, six women's Super League titles, five FA Cups, two League Cups, a runners-up uh, in the Champions League. That's been the one big trophy that has eluded her. Um, but for all the success that she has had in England with Chelsea, her history in America runs pretty deep. I'm reading an excerpt here from ESPN FC. Uh, I think it was Sophia Lawson that wrote about her. Mm. Um, She wrote, uh, having cut her teeth with the Long Island Lady Riders and Iona College in New York, Hayes returned to England as Vic Akers' assistant at Arsenal. Hayes' experiences on the other side of the Atlantic didn't end there. She spent two years with, uh, with Chicago Red Stars. It was so key in her development that she once told Chelsea TV that although she was born in England, she was, quote, definitely made in America. Wow. And now she'll have a chance to come back to America and try to lead this U.S. women's national team out of this kind of wilderness that they're in right now and, and back to prominence. Yeah, um, she was. She also was involved uh, in assembling the Western New York Flash team that won the last WPS championship in 2011. Uh, I know she traveled for a remembrance for Tony DiCicco because um, I know his family is uh tweeted about that when they heard she was getting the job she has serious links here uh Bo Dure does a good article in the guardian about her um and he thinks she'll benefit from the fact that some of the older bigger stars have moved on um but she he kind of mentions the player power is so big in international football because you can't get rid of the players in international football. Well, I mean, you can drop them, but well, the U.S. has a big player pool. Yeah, 
and it does it does but i mean i think what's what's interesting about the us and what became interesting about them was the pool was certain talents over the last 15 years andrew that were there all the time and thus to the point that it became a salaried job an international football job where players were paid salaries through so um there is player power and um he Bo outlines that and but there's no one more i mean there's very few as qualified as her to take the job she's a very impressive resume so i i i'm excited for this well she I, she um, was writing in the telegraph jj uh for the telegraph in england during the women's world cup just earlier this year in the summer and she wrote about this us team uh the quote that she had in there was they are quote massively short of creative talent um and you know, I mean, how's that she, going to go over with Trinity Rodman? Well, we don't know who. I mean, maybe there are some players in there that she views have it, but I, I don't know. You're right; it might, it may be the whole squad that she thinks they need to be remade in some way. And but they're totally, they're playing a totally different style of soccer to the rest of the world, right? Like and, compare, and that's what she's saying that they're. I yeah. don't think that they're quite technical enough for where the rest of the world is at. Sounds and, like a familiar conversation we've had. Well, it's going to be interesting because in, in this piece at ESPN FC, Sophie, Sophie Lawson writes that uh, she wrote from that first Chelsea squad of twenty of uh, twenty two that Hayes inherited, only eleven players returned to her in twenty thirteen, with another seven let go the following year, as she brought in talent from across the globe to fit her evolving vision, just as she'd tried to do with Chicago Red Stars. Indeed, no player could get too comfortable in a Hayes team. Many who helped deliver Chelsea's first WSL title in 1516 were soon surplus as the manager again took the chance to decisively upgrade her squad. She'll now, find that won't work here. Well, we'll see. Now, she can't look, it's obviously she'll find that international management is far different. Like you said, she can't just go start grabbing players that fit her system. She has a set, there are limitations, obviously, by birth of who she has to work with. But it does tell me that if you know, there are certain mainstays here, and I don't know who yet until she gets into the side and, and can observe it firsthand. There may be certain players that you consider a mainstay that she will not. And it seems like she doesn't care. <laughs> now, I know you think that the U.S. women's setup is is different and, and she'll have to care and make it work with certain players. But I don't know. She's a she's a giant in this sport in in management. And so. It'll be interesting to see if she has autonomy. There may be certain names that that not not what I'm looking for. Moving on. Weird we'll that you would. I mean, it's some leap to take a job where you've already said they have massive creative deficiencies. That's that's interesting, and I I, I can't wait to see how she addresses that. Yeah. Uh, let's see MLS playoffs, JJ. Actually, they're going on as we speak. I saw that. Uh... When I last looked, the Houston Dynamo had a 1-0 lead over Rail Salt Lake. I wonder if that's still the case. At any rate, while I look that up, um, boy, the uh, – oh, no. Oh, RSL won on penalties. Hmm. Hmm. This is some great coverage you're getting right now from us here. Uh, <laughs> the um, the New York Red Bulls, JJ. So they lose again. It was horrifying. I don't know – I can't go through chapter and verse of like every team in every sport and what their playoff failures have been, but just why going, can't you give it a go? I, I can't and I won't, but I'll say this. I I don't know how many there can be that are more painful than what the Red Bulls have had. 
I mean, and this is just the latest chapter. In I it. mean, just think of the penalties. So they're one nil up. I think. I mean, it's a brilliant, it's a very good equalizer on the break from um, from Cincinnati. Uh, of course, led by Acosta. Um, so it's one one. They take it to penalties, and they have the opportunity to win it with their homegrown talent, John Tolkien. Puts the ball down, sends the keeper the wrong way, but he hits the post. Mm. It's in front of the South Ward as well. Like they get the next, they get another opportunity to do it again in the same penalty, like in the penalty kicks. They have another opportunity to clutch a victory from the jaws of defeat, and they they blow their lines again. Ball is ballooned over the crossbar. Mm-hmm. It's and and worse, 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 worse. Miazga, Matt Miazga, a product. Of the region, another homegrown guy scores his penalty, and then I don't think he was trolling. I think he was serious, and that suggests a man who is very delusional and put in a delusional performance as well. Uh, he will miss the next game because of uh, yellow card accumulation. Terrible, by the way. Oh, he does a heart signal to the South Ward. No, I love you. I love you. No, no, no. And then all this stuff. I think he meant it. I don't think he was trolling. Referee immediately yellow cards him for that. Do uh, you think he meant it in that situation? That's the time to to do something like that? No, I think what he thought was that if he just gave them the heart, that there'd be some kind of... Uh, oh, Okay, take the other way. He's trolling them there. He knows he's going to get yellow card if he does carded if he does that. Gestures to the fans, a thousand percent, he's getting a yellow card. So he's either really dumb and thinking it would be re- well received, or he is actually trolling them and still really dumb because he's going to get a yellow card. Maybe I've long thought he was a bit of an ass. Well, <laughs> well what does... was it? It was in the Gold Cup, right after a penalty when he screwed. Was it against Panama? Wasn't it in the game that the U.S. eventually lost? He screamed in someone's face after uh, after a penalty. Yeah, and he did a whole height thing with a Mexican once. He started mocking a Mexican. Uh, I mean, height. look, I, 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 oh, you're uh, fine there, with that. There are, yeah, well, yeah. there are things. There are things in the rivalry that like ridiculous stuff happens. We've but, s- but seen stuff like that. But the media from Cincinnati. Then when Cincinnati win it, they celebrate in front of the South Ward, and they get pelted with bottles. Yeah, what are you expecting? Well, I don't want to excuse that. No, I'm excusing it. Wow. I'm absolutely excusing it. No, no, no. I can't. Yeah, I'm sorry. I am. In this instance, I am. Yell at what the hell are you doing? Antagonizing the crowd like that. Can't throw a bottle. Can't do it, man. I don't care what they're... They just won a hard-fought playoff matchup and penalties. They can celebrate how they want to celebrate. It doesn't justify throwing a bottle at them. Curse at them, whatever. You want to yell, scream, get angry, give them the finger. I don't care. You can't throw a bottle. You can't do it. I've I've been to a game. I've been to hundreds of sporting events in my life. I've seen players taunt the fans in many, many ways. I've never had the urge to throw a bottle at them. Keep it together, dude. You can't do it. Cannot do it. Well, there was more than one uh, object thrown on the field, and I I have no problem with it. That's that's a shocking take. It's not. From you. It's not like when Taddy Castellanos was caught off guard celebrating a, a goal. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And someone threw a beer at him, uh, threw a can at him. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he didn't know where it was coming from. It cracks him on the side of the head. That's disgraceful. It's not right. You are walking towards these people and you are deliberately taunting them. Not one, but the entire Cincinnati squad. And and they they don't expect some objects to be thrown at them. There's yeah, not there's really, nothing you could say yeah, to me right now. There's nothing you could say to me right now that I'll say, yeah, you know what? Have at it. Throw bottles. I, I not, can't get to that place. I'm not saying I I I don't condone I shouldn't say I condone it. I shouldn't. I understand it. I'll put it that way. Um so FC Cincinnati you your house tomorrow morning. You open that front door. Oh, what a fresh morning. And crack gonna hit you with a coffee cup. Nothing I've done on this podcast has ever warranted such behavior. And I won't I won't have it, and I'll have the police on standby. Um so FC Cincinnati, they do move on. However, their their counterpart, the other one seed, um, we talked about this the other night that when we were discussing of the teams that had gone down 1-0 who was most likely to turn it around. We did not identify St. Louis city as one of those. We thought sporting Kansas city looked, it looked pretty comprehensive. And sure enough, they finished the job and Logan and Dembe, who like has never scored for, for sporting Kansas city has now scored again uh, in both uh, the first two games of this uh, matchup in this first round. And so the eight seed is moving on and the one seed is, is gone. Um, still a great debut season. For St. Louis, I don't know what I don't. I can't say I have my finger on the pulse of how their fans are feeling about this. I'm sure they're obviously frustrated and extremely disappointed to have lost and and lost to a rival as well. Um, but in their inaugural season, to have gotten a one seed, um, oh, I think it's desperately disappointed. <laughs> and knowing their supporters and listening to them online, they're very very delighted with the season they've had or were delighted with the season they've had why wouldn't they be being one of the top teams in the country in the regular season and then to go in and just absolutely wet fart it in the in the uh in the playoffs that's that's disappointing but they'll get over it that's uh yeah they've they've built a nice little club there they'll they'll be fine now go on go on this game this game uh lafc and vancouver wow what a finish LAFC, they bounce Vancouver 1-0. Kind of a wild, kind of a wild stoppage time to this one, JJ. Uh absolutely. Uh and it it all culminated in the uh, Vancouver manager Vanny Sartini losing his mind. Just uh I mean, it was a wonderful show of absolute rage. Um Sartini stormed was when well, he was sent off and he storms off down the tunnel uh with i mean literally seconds left in the game then he comes back out onto the field and he shakes hands aggressively with everyone uh opposition players opposition coaches his own players um Chiellini, and it's almost as if i will make friends with everyone i will be magnanimous because i'm about to destroy the referees um, Sartini said at the end we didn't have a fair chance to be honest it's because today unfortunately the referee had the bad game um, with Vancouver pushing for a last gasp equalizer that would have forced penalty kicks I'm reading from MLSsoccer.com uh, in match two a bizarre sequence unfolded deep in the second half stopping time it was it was crazy so there was a um, Vancouver corner was cleared um, the referee collided with Whitecaps midfielder um, Alessandro Shop 
near the top of the 18-yard box. Carlos Vela charged down the field and uh, Dennis Boanga scored the apparent 2-0 clincher, but it was called back for offside following video review. Um, and, and, and Sartini lost his mind over this. Just absolutely lost his mind. It, it was hilarious watching him. It, it, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a coach incensed like that, and he delivered it with such passion. Um, I mean, a season yeah, cannot, it, like, I don't know what the ruling can be here. And I guess, like, I guess it was kind of a ball don't lie situation in that the goal was ultimately ruled for offside. But, like, a season cannot be allowed to end on a referee colliding with a player and that then creating a breakaway that going the other direction. Like, for that to happen in stoppage time of a one goal game as Vancouver is yeah. desperately pushing for, like, I do get his anger. I don't know what. But- what's supposed to happen there but they reversed it i mean it ended but not nil. because of that just out of sheer happenstance uh, <laughs> it was crazy it was a wild I mean, he had a lot of other complaint he had a lot of other complaints about the game as well which um whatever uh it was just funny to see him so mad and so angry um and lafc roll on and uh, maybe not didn't look their best in that game don't think they love playing on that turf in that stadium, atmosphere was amazing there, though, I yeah. must say. Um, I'd love if they just put grass down there. Yeah. I, know. Ugh, I don't like it. I'm always worried. Um, so, yeah, that was that. Um, so, the, the MLF playoffs uh, run on interminably. Uh, let's see. A couple other notes before we get out, JJ, from over the weekend. Bayern Munich smashed Borussia Dortmund. Harry Kane uh, continues to dominate. Look at what but I'm wearing. I, look I what I'm wearing. Notice. Oh, you got it. You had talked about the uh, mid '90s Dortmund tracksuit jacket that you were awaiting. Is that it? What do you What do you think? I, I can't mean, see your camera is like tilted so oh. far up. I can't really see it. Oh, it's it's actually it's beautiful. Again, you know my policy on this. I would just personally feel weird wearing it, not being a fan of the club. Um, but you, you, you know, I no, like you have no shame. So you know. no, I like sports history, and I like I like. Uh, oh, nice whoa, things. whoa! Come on now, that's that's unfair. Sorry, like sports history memorabilia, I should say. I like this Dortmund team. That was, that was a bloody good Dortmund team. I'll tell you what, that Dortmund team wouldn't continue to get absolutely pumped by their rival. And I'm telling you now, Derek Ray, come at me. Bundesliga officials, get over here. The whole of Germany, I will take you on. You are not allowed to call this Der Klassiker anymore. It should be called Der Pumping Gamen. Derek Ray, come at me. Oh, look out. He's lurking. Yeah, classic. No, 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 Derek. They're pumping gaming. So, Ab- <laughs> the way I said that is problematic. <laughs> with this, with this one, obviously four nil. I mean, yes, it was. Did you catch it, that? You caught they're, that. They're pumping gamer. <laughs> um, but some of the uh, some of the excitement of this took place afterwards. When uh, I didn't see it, I turned it off. I ha- I have to say, I turned it off and I put on Newcastle Arsenal. I was, well, I could... but but you wouldn't have seen it because it happened with the Sky Sports Germany broadcast. So oh. after the match, uh, Thomas Tuchel was interviewed pitch side by the Sky Sports Germany broadcasters that were there. This is all you can see it online. It's all in German, but you can find the English subtitles. And he shows up ready for a fight because Sky Sports German broadcasters and former legends, um, Lothar Mateus. And uh, Didi Haman, of course, they um, they've been highly critical of Tuchel. Now, on this pitch side broadcast, Haman wasn't there, but Mateus was. 
And immediately, I mean, Tuchel, he he just he was ready. He was ready for a fight. And the interview it, it started contentious. Then it kind of crested, and it seemed like okay, maybe we're going to be okay here. But then at the end, it got ugly again, and it ended prematurely with Tuchel storming off. He he takes his headset off. He says to them when they started to, I guess, slant a little bit negative with Bayern and having lost a, a third tier side a week ago. Uh, he says to them, "You have your job. You can say whatever you want. There's nothing more for me to say. Nobody's mad. We won four nil." Now you have to do a 180-degree turn. Have fun. And he takes his headset off and he storms away. You should see it. It's it's worth seeing. Um, but so I, I just wonder, in thinking about it, like, I, I guess I, Tuchel, I, I understand why he would feel this way. They just won 4-0. He's probably tired of it. But I do think criticism, it's not totally unfounded. Like, Bayern, they're second in the league right now. It's not terrible but it's not what you come to expect from Bayern. They've just lost in the cup to a third tier side. Right. Um, they are top of the group in the Champions League, three wins from three games. But last year, remember, he took over. He got knocked out of the DFB Pokal immediately by Freiburg, got beat by Manchester City in the quarters of the Champions League and won the Bundesliga. But he did so by one of the most narrow margins we've ever seen. Um, like he's not, he's not free of criticism. Maybe oh, he's... God, I'm watch- I'm watching it here without the sound. Oh, and uh, the presenter just looks at Mateus. Mateus just looks at the presenter before they even start talking, and they can see this guy who's Tuchel's tall man. He's very tall, yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's just ready to go. He was he's he showed up ready. He came ready for a fight. He and, came ready uh... for a very firm handshake in which he spins around with someone. Is it even a year since that happened? It's over a year, right? Probably right around a year. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, that feel that could have been ten years ago. Good lord, yeah. the Tuchel Conte handshake was last season. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, but at any rate, not to make this just about Tuchel, it was just that was just an interesting visual and and weird, horribly uncomfortable interaction. Uh, but Harry Kane again. Oh my god. Uh, a hat trick, first player in Bundesliga history with 15 goals in his opening 10 matches. Um, didn't age well. Eden Terzic of Bar- uh, Borussia Dortmund had said prior to the match that he was he was confident that Dortmund could keep Kane in check. Oh, uh, narrator, they did not. Oh. Um, yeah, Kane is he has taken this league by storm. He's he's incredible, and um, Bayern are. Still not quite where they want to be. They're second behind Leverkusen, but they're they're trimming the gap a little. Um, we'll see. The top of the Bundesliga is very interesting right now. It looks like it's going to be a fun race between those two. And then finally, JJ, to close out, the Copa Libertadores final um, was over the weekend. And it is Fluminense who defeat Boca Juniors to win a thrilling and highly, highly emotional Copa Libertadores final where Marcelo of Brazilian and, and Real Madrid fame who grew up, he was a uh, Fluminense. That was his club. And now he's gone back and plays for them. Hmm. And he said afterwards that this, this triumph meant more to him than any of the champions leagues that he had won at Real Madrid. Yeah, I believe it. He seems to have such a connection to the club. Um, I don't know if I'd say it was a thrilling game. I mean, it was a tough watch for a lot of it, but the goals were very good. And um and and uh, Kennedy's winner, John Kennedy's winner, 
was you like um, that, don't you? I do like that. Play the Sopranos drop, please. I'm supposed to be impressed because the man's name is John Kennedy. Uncle Junior's uh, obsession with uh, with John Kennedy always confounded Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, the winning goal was great. The, actually, the three goals in the game were very, very good. Uh, it took uh, Roisin to watch it. So um, I was desperate to get out and see the second half. And I knew the Black Horse would have it on on Fifth Avenue. I just guaranteed they'd have it on. And so Darcy gets back and I say, God, you know, I think I need to take the child for a walk. And Darcy goes, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah, just maybe about a 45-minute walk. Should be about right. So I um, I bring Roisin out. And Roisin's such a trooper. She's great with people. She's already smiling at everyone. But like, I could tell she was getting a bit cranky. So I had to go before extra time. And I got back and I don't have Phil Shane and BN Sports on my on my TV at home. So mm. I actually missed uh I missed extra time and the drama that ensued. I've I've two last things and I'll make them quick mm-hmm. before we get out. Um the first one is Phil Neville has been announced as the new manager of the Portland Timbers. That's incredible incredible to me. He is the most employable man in football. It doesn't matter what he's done beforehand, he will get a job. So I'm not sure that the Timbers Army will greet this. I know some of the supporters uh, organizations had objections to him uh, based on some comments he made about uh, women footballers and women in general in the past, tweeted rather. Um, but he's in. And so we will see another chapter in Phil Neville's, Neville's amazing coaching career. He is never without work. He he doesn't need Zip Recruiter or anybody. He will always have a job. And on a personal note, um, a our centre forward, our talismanic number nine, um, Javier, for my club, Joa, he got a, just a terrible injury at the weekend. Dislocated knee. Oh. Um, yeah. Uh, I feel responsible because oh. the collision that it happened from I put him on the slower of the center backs or I wanted him to go the slower of the center backs and I I instructed our midfielder Rob to spin a ball into him because I knew Javi is quick and he beat him I knew he'd have this guy on toast unfortunately this guy dives in Javi's foot gets either jammed in the turf or whatever and his knee just it was it was not good but we're sending our our love and our prayers out to him and um been in touch with him. I know a lot of the, the guys have been uh, and uh, just get well soon, Javi. He's um, a, a great old school Argentinian centre forward and I hope he comes back and he's he's able to play again. Oh, that's awful. And you are complicit. Yeah, you're, you're blaming me. You are complicit. I'm not saying it's your fault, but if we are ranking people who are in some way involved with this you are on the list i don't know how far down we have to go but you are you're you are on the list somewhere yeah i wanted our other striker andreas to pick up the the quick center half because andreas isn't that quick but but javi is quick on the slow one and um and and the incident occurred almost immediately after i told rob to play that ball in Hmm. and i i i take responsibility but on a serious note andrew no it's really it's terrible and um Wish him the best. He's a he's a truly a great guy. Um. So well, yeah. Thoughts. Get well thoughts soon. With him. That's that's that sounds pretty bad. Yeah. That's one of those injuries that I don't I don't like thinking about. 
how that probably feels. No, he was um he was a trooper. Um but uh yeah, no, a lot of pain. Yeah. A lot of pain. All right. Well, hopefully this podcast didn't bring you all a lot of pain. That's that's our goal every time we set oh, out. I, I guarantee you, we said enough at the start of this podcast. We're going to get it from everyone. We've, we everyone. have probably incent- – I would I would guess there will be some angry commentary coming from Chelsea supporters, probably Arsenal supporters. Uh, the way you kind of blew off Manchester City's 6-1 win, there may be mm-hmm. some annoyance coming from them. Um, yeah. I would think uh, – who else, who else did we probably piss off tonight? Um I mean, your your acceptance. FC Cincinnati fans will probably not be thrilled with you. Um, yeah, I mean, all all seven of them are going to be very upset. Wow, that now that's ridiculous. That, that's that's a ridiculous they've got a great, comment. They've got they do have great supporters, and I I was an early champion of them, Andrew, when they played in the in yeah the, sounds in like college, it in that college stadium. Check the tape, the tape that ESPN have destroyed, but check it. <laughs> Uh, let, let's cut this off now before we incense more people. JJ, I enjoyed this very much to you. I say, check you later phone boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the caught offside soccer podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.